0: Welcome in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. This is Tyler Donahue. Sean Fitz, as we mentioned last episode, is on vacation with his family. Hope he's enjoying that. Uh, Quite frankly, he hasn't been able to completely disengage, as you can imagine, based on how this week has gone. The concerns about coronavirus have rocked the sports world, and Happy Valley, no exception, at this stage, based on what we know, and, and let me preface this by saying we're coming to you here on a Friday morning, this is the third time I have re-recorded this intro to the podcast because uh, the updates have been so swift and so changing, uh, but as things stand right now, uh, Penn State Pro Day is off the books, that was scheduled for next Tuesday, NFL scouts coming to evaluate the draft eligible members of this Nittany Lions team, always something we look forward to. And the big one, Wednesday, was supposed to be the first of 15 Penn State spring practices as of right now. That will not take place. And the cancellation of the blue-white game, an annual event last year, drew 61,000 to Beaver Stadium. That was a top-five turnout in all of college football. For now, that... Uh, has been pushed aside due to the concerns about coronavirus. Uh, college kids supposed to be coming back here to campus next week. That's not happening. Online classes right now taking precedent for Penn State across the institution. And and if you have followed news coverage, I'm guessing you have, you are well aware that this is not just restricted to the Big Ten or Penn State. This is across uh, college athletics, the NCAA tournament, March Madness, the brackets that we all love. That will not happen this year. and you. Your heart goes out to the Penn State basketball program on the verge of their first appearance in nine years and and coming from somebody who whose alma mater was about to see their first March Madness appearance in more than two decades, it sucks. It sucks, it sucks, it sucks. It sucks. And Lamar Stevens specifically, seven points away from breaking Penn State's all-time scoring record. It was a conversation that we had with Mark Brennan on our last episode here in the Lions 24-7 podcast he's going to stay seven points away from breaking that record. It looked like a absolute no-brainer. He would surpass the all-time mark, but uh, no Big Ten tournament, uh, no NCAA tournament, and all of a sudden we're left with the end of a basketball season that uh, is one for the record books for all the wrong reasons. And uh, we try to keep perspective here and, and, and what sports means to us in america and globally and, and you're seeing soccer in europe go to the standstill in professional sports whether it's baseball hockey basketball we'll see where football stands down the line everything's on pause right now and it's remarkable but uh we're going to keep moving forward here on the lions 24 7 podcast online 24 7.com clearly we're going to need to evaluate What we're going to bring you as far as reporting, I can tell you, I've got a long list of stories I've been trying to get to, and and I've probably been compiling that list for about two or three years right now. So maybe time to do some of those longer stories. Of course, whenever we get uh, the updates and breaking news regarding coronavirus uh, and how it is impacting life in the athletic spectrum, specifically at Penn State, we'll bring it to you. Wait and see mode right now. That goes for reporters, that goes for the coaches, the athletes, and um, we will see. But it is a nice time for distraction. After all, that is what sports present to us on a daily basis, or at least up until now they did. And what better distraction than to bring on a great guest here onto the show? Uh, This was already planned with Sean being on vacation. We have tapped into our South Jersey resources. Always nice to double up on your dosage of South Jersey here on the show. When I was 24 years old, uh, I was covering local sports in southern New Jersey for an ESPN radio affiliate. Uh, Southern Regional Junior Mike Gosicki was one of my first guests on that show back in the winter of 2013. Seven years later, Mike, you're 24. You're making a little bit more money in your profession than I was back in the day, but not much more, just a little bit. It's always a pleasure. Like I said, it's kind of a reunion tour for us. We had a lot of these before we got to Penn State. Really glad to to get back and kind of get a nice conversation with you here with Sean Gone.
1: It's fun to be back on the show, uh, you know, get to reminisce a little bit back to, uh, you know, our South Jersey roots and, uh, you know, now, you know, talking today, you know, many years later. And uh, so it'll, it'll be an exciting show and, uh, you know, a lot of good topics. So, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's let's get rolling.
0: Well, everybody's talking right now, speaking of topics about, one, the NFL draft, guys like Itor Grosmatos and, and KJ Hamler are focal points here in Happy Valley. NFL free agency is a huge issue. For you, uh, those two things aren't going to impact you right now in this off season, Year number three, Miami Dolphins. Um, I don't know if that sounds crazy to you or if you feel like you've already been in for that long. What is this stage of the calendar like f- for a guy like you in your shoes as you wait to take that next step and get back to South Florida?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, right now, um, you know, once the season ended, you know, I took a couple weeks just to, you know, it's, it's a long year. Um, so, you know, you try to get your body back and, you know, get healthy and uh, kind of get rejuvenated for, uh, you know, off-season training. And uh, then just got got right back into it, uh, working out, lifting, running, you know, some football field work, catching, all that kind of stuff to prepare myself for uh, when OTAs start right in about the middle of April. Um, and that goes for about eight weeks. So, uh, you know, the NFL off-season is different, man, because it's, it's all up to you. And, it's, you know, you're, you're kind of on your own based off, you know, how, how you want to attack it. And, uh, you know, I think everybody kind of has their own routine, but, uh, you know, I'm kind of sticking them on.
0: You mentioned the word attack. I mean, that's you got to attack the season, attack these camps, attack this, that. When you get that little decompression right after the season ends and you can relax, how how do you decompress? How do you exhale a little bit? What do you kind of like to do to let go?
1: You know, honestly, um, you know, just kind of coming back home, obviously, you know, like you said, you know, seeing people that, you know, you're not you're not really able to see a ton during the season you know, catch up, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, just relaxing. But honestly, it kind of gets a little boring just, you know, based off, you know, my whole life. You know, I've always kind of been on the go. You know, in high school, I was going from sport to sport to sport. And then in college, you know, there was always, you know, during the season there was, you know, obviously games practices. And in the season there was winter workouts and spring ball and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, when you don't have a schedule to kind of, you know, lead your day and, you know you know, tell you what to do and when to do it, uh, you know, you kind of get bored, and like I told myself to take, you know, I think it was three weeks once the season ended, to just kind of, you know, you know, relax and get my body back. And I was sitting there after a couple of days, and I was like, man, I'm bored. So I mean, it's 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 definitely an interesting process, but uh, you know, it's it's definitely worth it.
0: Now, Mike, you got a big year coming ahead for the NFL, but if we could look in the rearview mirror a little bit, you just referenced uh, in high school, there was no downtime. You were all-state performer on the basketball court, all-star volleyball player, state championships, uh, and obviously the dunk contest in basketball too at the state level, you won that. And then football, um, obviously people know you for football here, and I think people are pretty well acclimated with your history as a multi-sport athlete. But uh, as you get further away from that experience, what stands out to you as your a assess your high school career and and is there a, another sport whether it's basketball or volleyball where you think you could have taken it to a very far level
1: yeah so I mean sports has you know always been you know something that's you know driven my life um, and so you know growing up it was always basketball and then you know I got into middle school and picked up football and then got into high school and picked up volleyball um, so I was always doing something um, you know I was either I was on a field or I was in a gym somewhere you know at all times. And I think, you know, that's kind of helped, you know, progress me into, you know, the athlete and, you know, the football player that I am today. And then obviously, you know, going to Penn State and playing football. But, you know, I think I could have, you know, ultimately played, you know, those sports, volleyball and basketball at the collegiate level as well. You know, I took a visit to, you know, a couple, you know, like Bucknell for basketball and, you know, ended up, you know, hearing from, you know, the Penn State, you know, men's volleyball team um, when I was in high school. So, I mean, those, those opportunities were there, but I knew that, you know, football, I kind of just started to scratch the surface on, um, at that time in my high school career. So I kind of knew, you know, where the, where the game was going and, you know, where the opportunities lied, lied ahead for me. And, uh, so I was kind of excited to, uh, explore that aspect of my journey in, in terms of football.
0: And clearly picking the right path, ultimately leading you to, to where you are today, your destination. And, I spent a lot of time on my radio show when you would join me trying to get you to talk about Rutgers recruiting you. And I'm I'm mentioning that because Sean, Sean usually makes fun of me for the Rutgers stuff on this show and he's not around. So I'll do it to myself here. I'm glad you got a kick out of that still after all these years. At the end of the day, though, you committed to Bill O'Brien's Penn State Nittany Lions. And I know for you, I, I distinctly remember you saying, saying no to Urban Meyer and Ohio State was the most difficult part of the process. Can you look back to to what happened after that? James Franklin uh, comes in, takes over the program in January, about a month before that signing day. This is not when there was an early signing period. That would have really made things messy, I guess, with with the coaching transition. Did you ever consider poking your head around elsewhere with Penn State? Did James Franklin have to really hit, hit a home run with you on those first couple conversations to prevent you from doing so?
1: You know, honestly, you know, when I committed to Penn State, you know, obviously, you know, I did commit to Penn State, you know, for, you know, Coach O'Brien and for, you know, the football aspect of it. But there was a lot more that I committed to Penn State for than just that. So when, you know, Coach O'Brien did leave, you know, I was still, you know, committed to Penn State for more than just, you know, the the football program. You know, I had already built a couple of relationships there with guys on the team and, um, just kind of, I liked, you know, the campus. I liked, you know, the, the thought of, you know, being, you know, four hours away from home and, you know, the, the academic aspect of it, just everything. Um, so when coach O'Brien left, it it was, you know, disappointing as a recruit at that time. And then, you know, coach Franklin came in and, and I had a previous relationship with him when he was at Vanderbilt, he offered me a scholarship as well. So, you know, I knew him, I knew the staff, they came in, came to one of my basketball games and, uh, you know, ended up coming to my house and all that kind of stuff. So, um, they were very easy to get along with, you know. They were great guys, great coaches, and uh, you know, just kind of kept that relationship going. And you know, ultimately, I think uh, Ohio State ended up sending their uh, their tight end coach uh, out to one of my basketball games uh, during that process when O'Brien left, and then in between that signing period. Um, so I mean, I talked to him and that kind of stuff, but you know, for you know, I was you know 100% committed to Penn State, and uh, you know, like you said, you know, telling Urban Meyer no. You know, months before that, it was a difficult process just because, you know, you build relationships throughout the recruiting process, you know, you get close with people. Um, And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Coach Meyer had a ton of success throughout his uh, coaching career. And it was kind of funny. I saw him at Big Ten uh, Media Day my senior year. And, uh, you know, I was actually had like a quick, you know, 30 second conversation with him. But, you know, he's just asking, "How's how's my family doing? You know, how's everything going? Congrats on, you know, Uh, you know, a couple, you know, successful seasons, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's just kind of cool to kind of see how everything kind of worked out. And, uh, you know, just, you know, looking back on it.
0: And your third year at Penn State, obviously the big win at, at against Ohio State in the whiteout conditions is viewed as a turning point for the program. Your first couple years on campus, it, it's you know, easy to forget now considering where the program is, but uh, 14 wins, 12 losses. You're trying to find your way at the position, making a big transition from the kind of athlete you were in high school to, to being a Big Ten tight end. Um, how, how kind of different was Penn State when you were going through the exit door after the 2017 season versus when you came in uh, in 2014 when you kind of assessed the program from start to finish during your career?
1: Yeah, no doubt. Um, I think it's a lot easier for kids to, you know, look at Penn State today and commit to Penn State than it was, you know, during that time when, you know, the, the class before mine did and, you know, when my class committed there, um, you know, it, was a, it was a whole different time period based off of, you know, all the sanctions and, you know, the adversity that Penn State was going through as a university and as, and as a football program. And, you know, the, there wasn't, you know, elite high level success at that time, you know, you know, we were, you know, winning the games, you know, some of the games that we were supposed to, but there wasn't, you know, those, you know, marquee wins besides, you know, the, the one that I was at for my official visit was that the four overtime Michigan whiteout game, which was, you know, electric. And I mean, that was great. But, you know, I think kind of looking at the transformation of Penn State over those past couple seasons and over, you know the course of my career and, you know, the last couple of years after that. Um, it's definitely been uh, been exciting to see that kind of transpire. Um, but like you said, you know, it wasn't easy. Um, you know, when I first got to Penn State, you know, my first year played a little bit, you know, kind of here and there. My second year ended up winning the starting job and then ultimately losing the starting job, you know, based off, you know, my performance on the field and, you know, just not kind of living up to those expectations and making the plays that, you know, I knew I was capable of, everybody kind of knew I was capable of. Um, and then, you know, fighting through that, fighting through that, getting better, you know, learning from adversity and then having those last two years, um, you know, win the big 10 championship, you know, back to back 11 win seasons, back to back, you know, new year's six bowls, um, you know, fiesta bowl champion, just, you know, all the kind of stuff that, um, that you look at Penn state today and you think of, you know, right now, you know, they're the defending cotton bowl champions, you know, stuff like that, where Penn state should be talked about in terms of college football.
0: You mentioned the adversity you went through and then where you finished that uh, you finished on top of the Penn State leaderboard among tight ends uh, for career catches, 129 uh, for career receiving yards, 1481 and for tight end touchdown receptions. But Mike, it's now a tie atop the leaderboard for touchdown catches. Pat Fryermuth got you last year. He didn't waste much time, did he?
1: No, man, they uh, that offense, you know, I think it's, you know, started in 2016 when Coach Moorhead got there. Um and I think you kind of saw it, you know, start with, you know, myself in that tight end position. And now it's, you know, you know, keeping that same system with, you know, Coach Ronnie for those two years after I left when he became the O.C. You know, the tight end is definitely, you know, a huge part of that red zone offense. And there's definitely been a lot of success in the past couple years with guys getting in the end zone. I mean, even, you know, my senior year, you know, we had, you know, Nick Bauer score a touchdown. We had Tom Panko score a touchdown. Um, And then obviously I had mine. Tommy Stevens would go in at tight end. He would score touchdowns. Um, And then, you know, the last two years, um, you know, Pat's obviously, you know, done a tremendous job and Bowers did a great job. So uh, I think that, you know, that position as a whole in terms of, you know, red zone uh, productivity has has done a really good job.
0: And it's one they have recruited very well, um, continuing to bring in blue-chip talent there. Obviously, it, you have to get it done on campus, but the accolades have been there for the guys they are signing. Uh, that went for Pat a couple of years ago. I know you didn't cross paths uh, as a student-athlete with Pat Friermuth, but I'm imagining that you two have been engaged to some degree over the last couple of years. What's your impression of him as a player? He's become a leader. I know you, you prided yourself on being a leader in that locker room, uh, at Penn state. He has kind of ascended to that role. He was a captain as a sophomore. Uh, what stands out about him in that tight end room?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, from the, from the games that, you know, I've been able to watch, um, you know, obviously, you know, he plays physical, he plays, um, you know, he's, you know, he's making plays, um, whether it's in the, in the running game, whether it's in the passing game, you know, whatever it is. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, continue to, you know, get better and grow in that, in that aspect for him going into year three. But, um, you know, everything that I've heard about him, you know, he's a, he's a really hard worker, um, has kind of earned what, what he's been able to on, uh, that, that everybody sees on Saturdays and, uh, you know, super excited for, for him and his future. Um, and, uh, you know, who, who knows, you know, what's going to happen in terms of how, how long he stays at Penn state, but, uh, for sure is, you know, um, you know, making his name known uh, in, uh, you know, Nittany Lion history.
0: Now, Mike, you mentioned when you get a chance to watch Penn State games, how often is that? Are you able to, to make time on most Saturdays to do so? Is it a challenge during the season? Because you've got obviously your obligations going on with the Miami Dolphins. And, and what is it like watching them from the outside looking in after being a, such a central figure in the James Franklin era for those four years?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we have um, meetings and stuff on Saturdays and then, you know, during the day. So, I mean, the the best time for me to catch a Penn State game is probably on like is when they play at noon. because uh, we get done around that time and then we kind of got to report back around like 630 ish. So uh, if they have a late game, it's kind of tough to see the whole thing. But uh, it is, you know, it, it's it's cool to kind of go back and watch those guys and, you know, just watch how the program is. And, uh, you know, seeing the success that, you know, they've been able to. You know, last, you know, the past couple of years. So uh, it's been exciting. It's been cool. And, uh, you know, it's always, you know, you're always, you know, talking trash in the locker room with other guys that went to other Big Ten schools or any other schools that they're playing. Uh, so it's funny, man. It's cool. And uh, it's super, uh, you know, enjoyable as a, you know, a Penn State guy
0: when you look across the pros right now, you're obviously a guy on the rise. Saquon Barkley came in uh, red hot and, and it is one of the, the more marketable young athletes in America at this point. Chris Godwin put, put on a show last year with the Buccaneers. The, the list goes on and on with the NFL presence. We always hear you when you're on campus, family within the locker room, family when you're on your, when you're on campus. You're out on your own. You're all pursuing different professional aspirations, endorsement deals, all the other things that are involved in your lives now. But how much does that network stay intact the further you get away from campus
1: oh absolutely man um you know all of those guys that you know i played with and even the guys that i didn't play with but that were still you know penn state guys i mean when i got to when i got drafted to the dolphins you know cam wake was there and that was a guy that was at penn state 12 years 10 years before me and uh you know we were still you know being, being able to have those conversations about campus about the program about you know big wins and all that kind of stuff so it's cool to kind of see that network and see that brotherhood you know, move on to the next level in the NFL. You know, I got a couple jerseys from, you know, I got a jersey from Chris. I got a jersey from Miles, Saquon, Grant. You know, there's Troy Apke. You know, I've been able to, you know, kind of, you know, talk to guys after games, you know, during games, all that kind of stuff. So it's cool. It's definitely, you know, a fun experience to be a part of. And definitely, you know, the the best, you know, Brotherhood, you know, Penn State guys, you know, going on in the NFL. That's That's definitely a good one to be a part of.
0: There's a lot of people right now who who say they knew Saquon back when, but you really did know Saquon when he showed up with his bags packed as a freshman to check in as a student athlete at Penn State, and now here he is, uh, you know, all over the the television with different advertisements. Can you kind of give us some insight into maybe how he changed that culture when we went up? We talked about the period of transition for Penn State to where it is now because something interesting came up just last week. We were in the weight room with Dwight Galt. I I know you have a lot of respect for, for for Coach Galt. And what he does, but he told us that he still feels like Saquon's presence from two, three years ago now uh, sustains in the running back room, resonates in, in the way guys handle themselves, conduct themselves. I mean, his name's all over that weightlifting leaderboard still. But is there something to be said about that that he's left campus a couple of years ago and, and that still seems to be the case?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for him, and uh, you know, the, the the trait that you know has you know just kind of um, you know stuck around in that locker room and that weight room and, and that facility is just that um, that competitive nature uh, you know he was always trying to get better he was always trying to compete um, and kind of bring other guys along with him you know i mean there's tons of videos of him you know doing a whole bunch of crazy stuff in the weight room that everybody's seen um, and then obviously all that kind of uh, you know transforms into the plays that he makes and and then on Saturdays and now on Sundays so uh you know you you can't really say enough you know good things about you know him you know when he was you know competing and you know as a football player and as a guy, so uh you know i'm I'll always you know be uh you know super you know supportive of him and happy for him and all the and all the success that you know he's had and will continue to have uh during his career
0: you two came in as rookies together and you were huge stars on the n f l combine out in Indianapolis. You put up some incredible numbers for the tight end position, Mike. I'm not not telling you anything you don't know, but can you take us in the mindset of, of these guys like KJ and, and Yitor and John Reed and Cam Brown and Robert Windsor and Steven Gonzalez, and I know I could name other players who are trying to impress NFL scouts. What's running through your mind at that point? You know, Before you actually get to, to test out and ball out in front of the scouts, is it anxiety? Is there any fear? Is it just a sense of adrenaline?
1: you know, in terms of, you know, the combine or pro day, just those, you know, that, that testing specifically, that was something that I've been, you know, waiting for my whole life. Um, you know, just because of, you know, what I was, you know, the numbers I was putting up, you know, throughout my you know high school and college career, you know, I knew kind of what I was capable of. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you're going to get nervous. You're going to think about what's at stake and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I mean, you're going to run as fast as you run. You're going to jump as high as you can jump, you know, like, all those things are already determined from, you know, how hard you worked and, you know, the technique that you learned over the past couple months training and, you know, your God given a bit, your ability and talent, just all that kind of stuff. So that kind of stuff, it's really not, you know, very overly nerve wracking just because, you know, like I said, you know, it's already, you know, kind of set, you know, where how you're going to perform. And then, you know, the on the field drills, you got to go out and do, you know, what you know you're capable of doing. Um, you know, you've already put, you know, a lot of good stuff on film and, you know, obviously, or else you wouldn't be where you are and, you know, competing for what you're competing for. So, uh, you know, to those guys that are, you know, doing that and to, um, you know, going out and, you know, running their forties and, you know, jumping their verticals and bench pressing and doing their on the field drills. I mean, the only, you know, advice that you would give them is just go do what you know you can do because, at the end of the day, man, that's kind of, you know, what you're trying to, you know, give across to these coaches, Uh, to show them, you know, that uh, what they're getting in you is going to be, you know, a very, you know, important part to their organization help them win football games and overall, you know, become a better organization.
0: KJ Hamler's a pretty fascinating figure because he took that red shirt in 2017 and then immediately from his first game in the lineup, played a huge role against Appalachian State and went forward the next two seasons as, as the receptions leader for Penn State, a guy that could do just about anything with the ball at any given point, kind of took took the mantle from Saquon as as the most exciting player within that offense, I think you could argue, in a lot of a lot of points. But but Mike, did you see flashes on the practice field while he was recovery from a knee injury at coming out of high school? But was it pretty obvious? even while we weren't seeing him in 2017 that he was going to be a special player
1: yeah absolutely I think you know you can't you can't teach you know speed and quickness and you know explosiveness like he has so um you know I wish I could do some of the things that he can do with the ball in his hands uh you know in terms of making, making people miss and outrunning running guys and uh you know just kind of making plays with the ball in your hands so uh I think that that was kind of something that was evident from the first day he kind of got there and was able to you know be 100% healthy and run around and you know, go out there and make plays. So I think that that's, you know, his his biggest trait. You know, you see guys, you know, making a, you know, a living off of, you know, their their explosiveness, their speed, their quickness, and you know how fast they are. And so I think that he's kind of a guy that's gonna, you know, fit into that trait where, you know, if you play man-to-man coverage on him, you know, you better be you better be ready to get out of your back pedal and and go go run him down because he's he's definitely a guy that'll run right by you.
0: All this conversation leading up to the NFL draft next month, take us into your head. You sound like you were a cool customer when it came to the combine testing, but does all that coolness go out the window when you're waiting for your name to be called? You go to bed after that first round, you're kind of hoping you're going to have good news at the start of the second. You wait 10 picks and the Miami Dolphins take you. How nerve wracking is that entire wait? And then how quickly does it go from that to getting a phone call and saying, let's get to work. We need it down here.
1: It's definitely An exciting and also, you know, very interesting experience. Um, You know, you've put in so much work and, you know, so much time and effort and commitment um, to kind of get to that point and something you dream about for so long. And, um, you know, but it's once, you know, that, that clock starts, uh, you know, you have no control over where you're going to get drafted. Um, You know, you have no control on when your phone's going to ring or anything, anything like that. So you just kind of just got to be very calm and patient, um, you know, obviously you know saquon you know he he waited about eight minutes and then you know his phone rang you know and and then you know i was you know i was the next guy from penn state to you know hear my phone ring and it wasn't for you know until till the next day uh you know there was there was buzz where you know i could have you know gotten picked here or there on day one but you know things happened in the draft and um you know i ended up where i ended up and you know when my phone rang um and it said fort lauderdale florida you know my family was there my girlfriend was there my friends were there you know everybody that you know i that I truly, you know, cared about and wanted to share that moment with. They were all there, so it was it was a really cool experience. It was it was something that you know I'll remember forever. And I ended up in you know in a great spot with you know a phenomenal organization and has you know been able to you know grow and develop into you know a player that I'm proud to be right now and somebody you know that I'm going to continue to you know strive to you know be better and better each and every day for, uh, you know, next season and many seasons uh, to move forward.
0: And there are worse workplaces than South Florida, that's to be sure. Um, now, you've undergone, you know, in, in just a short time, you know, a lot. Uh, you, you saw organizational leadership change at the coaching position. You've seen quarterback changes, and and you've also experienced quite a leap. Uh, year number one for you. Can you talk about what it's like to make that jump? You can be the best of the best in the Big Ten at your position, then you go to the NFL. I have to imagine that's a humbling experience um, as a rookie. And then you really started to find your groove last year. Five touchdowns by the end of it, 570 receiving yards, came on strong, big touchdown uh, against the New, Eng- New England Patriots on the road where they don't lose, and, and it totally changed the complexion of the playoffs. And uh, you were help- you know, at the center of this resurgence for the Miami Dolphins. Can you sum up these first couple of years the highs and lows and and where you're coming out the other end for for year three
1: you know my first year in Miami was a learning experience and it was you know I had to develop and I had to you know do some you know play away a style that you know I wasn't asked to play you know previously in terms of you know you just kind of being like a true you know hand in the dirt tight end you know having to you know pass protect and run block and do all that kind of stuff rather than you know just make the plays that you know everybody's The reason, you know, that, you know, one of the reasons that I was, you know, drafted for, you know, mainly was for the plays I was making in the passing game in college and that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, learning and going through that part of my career in my first year in Miami, I think it was similar, you know, kind of how, you know, my kind of Penn State career went. You know, it wasn't, you know, easy in the beginning. You know, it wasn't, you know, exactly how I envisioned it or how anybody envisioned it. But, you know, at the end of the day. I think that those kind of experiences are what, you know, drives the success and, you know, those, you know, the bigger moments that, you know, I was able to see later in my career at Penn State. And then, you know, my second year in Miami, you know, we got a new, you know, coaching staff and, you know, a lot of, you know, new quarterback, new changes, you know, a lot of new stuff and just kind of being able to adapt with all the change and you know just be ready to uh you know make plays and you know make the most of your opportunities when they come I think that's the biggest thing about you know the NFL in general is you know you don't know how many opportunities you're going to have or you don't know when your opportunity is going to come but when it does uh when that opportunity does present itself um you know you don't know how many opportunities you're going to get to make the most of it so uh I think you know doing that you know in my second year and you know making some plays and kind of get my name out there I think that was something that uh you know, was uh, was exciting.
0: The last couple of games here. I got the stats in front of me. Uh, six catches uh, against the Bengals uh, for 82 yards, two touchdowns, and an overtime win. And then on the road in New England with the Patriots trying to to solidify a bye week. Four catches, 34 yards, and a crucial, crucial touchdown. Uh, that kind of typified how things went for you and the Miami Dolphins, both on the rise as the season ended uh, there with a first-year head coach. And I know you have big expectations. I got to ask you, is Ryan Fitzpatrick as fun to play as it looks like on TV? Because whenever Fitz Magic pops up for the last, what, 10, 12, 15 years in the NFL, it always looks like a lot of fun.
1: Oh, man, he is uh, an all-time teammate. Um, you know, he is... The dude's 38 years old, and, you know, you would think that, you know, this is his first or second year in the league with, you know, how you know Lucy is out on the field and, you know, just kind of how he conducts himself and how much fun he has out there playing. So, you know, I think I'd give him – I think he deserves a lot of credit for, you know, the success that we were able to have as an organization that second half of the year. You know, we finished the year five and four. After an Owen 7 start, so I think you know we finally got clicking. I think he deserves a ton of credit, and uh, you know I know he deserves a ton of credit for you know you know the success that I was having you know that second half of the year as well. Because uh, there's a lot of times where you know he just kind of put the ball up and let me go make a play, and uh, you know for that you know I'll always be appreciative of him.
0: Mike, uh, NFL.com lists you at six foot six, two fifty. If if that's not accurate, let me know. But I I, I remember. Uh, quite the lanky Mike Gusecki dominating on the South Jersey sports scene. What was your height? Well, your height was probably about the same, but what was your weight, let's say, senior year of football?
1: Yeah, so when I was in high school, I was still like probably 6'5", 6'6", um, but I was probably about 215, 220. And then when I got to Penn State, um, I initially played my uh, freshman year, probably like high 230s, you know, maybe 240. Um and then I just continued to, you know, just add on, you know, more good weight, you know, more, you know, muscle and strength and that kind of stuff. And now uh, I would say I consistently, you know, this year I started training camp at like 253 and just kind of it's hard to keep it on, you know, playing down in Miami just because of the heat and the uh, the humidity and how much you're sweating. There's been practices out there where I've lost like 18 pounds in a three hour practice. You come back in, you you drink about six waters and a, and a you know, a couple of and then you're all back and ready. ready to go back at it the next day.
0: Wow. Just a few more minutes here with you, Mike, and appreciate all this time that, that you've given us here on the lines, 24 seven podcast, looking back at yourself as a high schooler. Now that you know a lot more about the game, how players progress, what is the scouting report on Southern regional tight end who doesn't really play tight end yet. Mike Kosicki.
1: Yeah, he was definitely Southern regional wide receiver, Mike Kosicki. Um, you know, I think, you know, I was really just like raw as a football player um, and, you know, in terms of, you know, route running and understanding of defenses and, you know, just the game of football uh, in general. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, I picked it up when I was in middle school and, uh, and I played quarterback until my sophomore year of high school and then I switched over to receiver and my first year was really just kind of run to a spot and, you know, jump higher than the next guy to catch the ball. And then, you know, kind of, you know, that, you know, between the end of that season to the beginning of the next, started to, you know, learn more about the ins and outs of playing receiver and, you know, the footwork and, you know, how to, you know, get yourself open and finding open spots. And just like, you know, the the absolute basics of, you know, playing wide receiver that I didn't understand when I first started playing. And it's kind of funny to kind of see the the success that I had with, you know, the, you know, just kind of the, the the raw, you know, athletic talent that you know I was really playing with. Um, so uh, it's it's definitely you know a fun thing to look back on, and uh, it was definitely you know a really fun experience.
0: When folks look back at the 2016 Big Ten Championship run now, and and when they look back at that 15-20 years, they're gonna remember you. They're gonna remember Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley. Who are some names or a name? on either side of the ball, that you think it's important that Nindy Lions fans, no matter how far away they get from that exciting championship chase, that they need to make sure that those guys are getting their respect and proper due years later?
1: A guy that, you know, (laughs) Penn State people just kind of, obviously, you know, they supported a ton when he was there and he had a ton of success, but just kind of flown on the radar radar because of his personality and how kind of low-key he was, was Chris Godwin. Um, You know, he was never really, you know, he was never really big into, you know, media or social media or kind of getting involved with anything uh, outside of just, you know, doing his job on Saturdays and making big plays. Um, you know, so I think he was a, a, you know, obviously, you know, was a huge part of that team and, you know, that Big Ten championship run. And I remember mean, we played Michigan State and uh, he had, you know, two really long touchdowns that kind of pushed us over the edge. Um, you know, I think a lot of people forget about the Minnesota game the week before or two weeks before we beat Ohio State. Uh, that we won in overtime, and you know Tyler Davis kicked us into overtime on uh, last second field goal. So I mean, there's just so many names. You know, obviously, you know Saeed with his you know Big Ten championship game, you know two touchdowns. Uh, there's so many names, and you know the list kind of goes on and on and on about uh, you know that team and you know the the resiliency and you know how much talent was really on that team.
0: I asked you about your Dolphins quarterback from last year. I guess I I have to ask you about your Penn State quarterback because he, you talk about breaking records, he broke a ton of them by the time he was done in Happy Valley. He showed a lot of of determination the year after you left, dealing with an injury during the second half of the season. Trace McSorley, you mentioned ultimate teammate with Ryan Fitzpatrick. We're still waiting to see if Trace gets an opportunity in the NFL. It's not easy that he ends up playing behind the NFL MVP in year one, but in your opinion, what kind of the difference did he make in, in Penn State's trajectory as a program with what he did at that position?
1: I think it was a kind of the, the perfect storm for for Trace. You know, um, you know, Coach Moorhead comes in, and it's now you know Trace's Trace's job to uh, to win. And with that system, and you know how he kind of ran that offense with all the RPOs and the quarterback runs and the deep balls, um, it fit in perfectly for the way that he plays. And uh, you know, Trace is just so gritty, so tough um and i think the thing that people always talk about is just you know his ability to win and uh went all the way back to high school and then into college you know i think you can only count on you know you know one hand or you know maybe a little bit you know on how many games that trace you know lost throughout his career at penn state uh so you know i know in you know the the two years that i was there i think it was you know i think we lost three games my my uh Junior year and then to my uh, senior my senior year so I mean that he was you know super successful um, and a guy that kind of proved a lot of people wrong you know based off of the stereotypes of quarterbacks and you know how a quarterback should look in terms of you know height and size and all that kind of stuff uh, but you know the thing they couldn't measure was you know his ability to make plays and you know his ability to win.
0: Yeah, two hands would be enough uh, with McSorley. I, I, th- I think the number was nine losses during his career at Penn State, and as and as we talked about before, twelve, uh, 12 losses for Penn State in the, the previous two years, uh, which a lot goes into that more than the quarterback spot, of course, but a difference maker. Mike, the last one for you. Where do I need to draft you uh, in the fan? Well, yeah, you know, fantasy draft. I'm, I'm already got my. I got to get the big board going. Where's the sweet spot for you this year, man? I need the inside. I need the insider trading.
1: You know, a lot of, so many, you know, you'll be walking out to the field and, you know, I'll, I'll hear fans like yell to me, Mike, I got you on fantasy today. Like, <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's so funny to kind of hear people, you know, talk about that. And, uh, you know, the, the, their fantasy leagues and, you know, how everything works and, you know, scoring points and you know if you got a good game people are you know tweeting at you letting you know that you know you won them your game then you know if you didn't if you had two catches and you know it wasn't enough for them then they're letting you know that you're the reason they lost and it's it's so it's so funny and it's it's definitely you know a very you know interactive you know part of the game in terms of fans you know kind of getting involved with the players and you know fantasy and all that kind of stuff um so hopefully hopefully I can continue to uh you know project upwards for uh for anybody that's owning me in fantasy next year. So I can get him a couple points.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Mike was a sleeper last year, but I don't know. I think people woke up as the season went on. He's going to have to invest a a pick in him a little bit earlier when the time comes. Well, Mike, it's always a pleasure, man. Excited to see what's next for you. Excited for where you've got to this point in your career and in your life. Enjoy South Jersey, enjoy home a bit longer. And then when OTAs get going, uh, best of luck with year three and with the dolphins.
1: No doubt. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate you having me on. And, uh, you know, it's always, it's always fun, you know, talking to you and, you know, talking about Penn State and South Jersey and all
0: that good stuff. So I appreciate you. Come back anytime, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Well, in times of uncertainty, there is something to be said about hearing from an old friend. Glad we got to bring in Mike Kosicki for a conversation in this week of all weeks. Sean Fitz will be back from vacation uh, next week. We're going to hope the dust settles a bit. Can't promise anything in that regard, but uh, bring a little bit more context and perspective on what Penn State faces as an athletic department and more specifically what's going to happen with Penn State football, uh, whether it's the spring practice situation, the spring game, the recruiting world that has totally been paused as well. There is just so much to dig into, and, and we are at the very, very origins of what's going to presumably expand into um, a game changer here in 2020, hopefully not beyond um, but uh, for now, we're going to step aside. I want to again thank Mike Asicki. want to thank Mark Brennan again for, for joining us last week. The man drove out to Indianapolis this week and essentially had to turn right back around because Penn State wasn't playing basketball. So a big shout out to Mark for all of his coverage during a basketball season that reached great heights, didn't finish well, and then all of a sudden was poof, gone. We'll do our best to dissect things on lines 247com You know we'll be back with another episode here on the podcast for now. Stay safe, enjoy yourself this weekend, and we'll talk to you really soon. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game.